Welcome to the fourth episode of Paranormal. Our topic today is going to be crop circles, which is something that we know lots of listeners are interested in. Uh, I'm Mike Heiser, and with, uh, with me today are Doug Van Dorn and Doug Overmeyer, Brian Gadawa, and of course, Trey Strickland. So for this episode to sort of you know, get us into it as far as the, the, the topic goes, what I'm going to do is just summarize a few sort of crop circle statistics and then talk a little bit about the uh, kind of the storyline of crop circles for a minute or two and then get into at least the first article. I will, as we did last time, tell you what articles that uh, we read and then we'll just jump into it and discuss what's up with crop circles or at least what are people who are doing the research, serious research, what do they think about the whole issue? So you know, I'll have to confess my impression. I'm, I'm not a big crop circle enthusiast, but uh, there are those, I guess we can categorize that way among us <laughs> who really wanted to do this topic. But I mean, I'm interested in it. I know what it is. I've, I've read a little bit about it. But my impression was that, oh, there's just thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of these things uh, around the world and, and sheer weight of number. Uh, precludes any sort of natural or, or human explanation. And that impression was really created, I think, by, again, listening to other shows over the years, again, not really drilling down deeply uh, into the research, but dabbling enough, again, to sort of be interested in it and, you know, get the pros and the cons and that sort of thing. But when I actually looked at the statistics, and this comes from a website called CropCircleResearch.com, the the fellow who whoever puts that site together has a nice several nice graphics about crop formations and i'm going to focus here on his statistics he and just read a little bit about what he has because in the 90s on into the early 2000s is sort of the the heyday for this for a number of reasons that that'll probably become apparent but he says for the years 1996 through 2003 and this is the UK uh, there's a, a cumulative number of crop circles in, in, within that that chronological parameter. He says the numbers seem to average around 100 per year, which when you think about it really isn't that many. There, there was a peak of 148 in 1999. There were 204 uh, in 1992. Uh, I, I should say you know, the, the 204 was the high point. Then we had a drop, you know, for, to 148 in 1999, then it's dropped off since then is really what, what his research shows, uh, what his statistics show. So again, that alone I thought was a bit startling because I thought, oh, there's just thousands of these, you know, because I remember again in the 90s uh, getting drawn into this subject and you, the way you hear people talk about it makes it just seem like, like there's just such an overwhelming number of these that there, there can't be any sort of human, you know, explanation. Now, from another site, and some of this is going to be, uh, you know, Wikipedia, just to sort of, for those who, I, it, it's hard for me to believe, but for those who have never heard the term crop circle or don't know what this is, just uh, by way of summary here, a little bit uh, from the Wikipedia entry on this, just a few things that I think are interesting. There was a guy named David Wood in the Fortean Times reported that in 1940, and so that's an old issue, he had already made crop circles near uh, Gloucester using ropes. 
Okay, so I, I, I wanted to pull that out basically to say that there were people as far back as 1940 who were doing this kind of thing. And there are, you will read about circles, very simple circles, not very large, and, and only one circle in isolation that you can find in the older literature that used to be called things like fairy nests, uh, whatnot. I mean, nowadays, it's much more elaborate, much larger, so on and so forth. But if you actually jump into the subject, you will find references to some of these older, simple circles. So the 1940 reference I thought was kind of interesting. The, the actual uh, discussion of such circles is older than that. But here's a guy who said, hey, in the 40s, you know, we knew about these things and we'd already made a few, you know, using ropes, you know, simple tools. Oxford English Dictionary recorded the earliest usage of the term crop circles in a 1988 issue of Journal of Meteorology referring to a BBC film. And the, the term was supposedly coined. It's attributed to Colin Andrews, who's a very famous crop circle research, uh, who started using that in the late 1970s. And so... A journal had picked it up by 1998. Now, it was 1991 where we get the infamous Doug and Dave revelation. There were two pranksters in the UK by the name of Doug Bauer and Dave Chorley, and they made worldwide headlines because they, they, they claimed that they started the phenomena as, as we know it in the, in the late 20th century. Uh, they said they started that in 1978 by making crop circles using simple tools consisting of a plank of wood, baseball cap fitted with a loop of wire to help them walk in a straight line, you know, some ropes and stuff like this. And to prove it, they made a circle in front of journalists. Okay, The Wikipedia entry goes on, Pat Delgado examined the circle and declared it authentic. Again, he was a, a crop circle research, researcher, also known as a seriologist. He examined the circle, declared it authentic before it was revealed that it was a hoax. Bauer you know, and Chorley, Doug and Dave, claimed to be responsible for all circles made prior to 1987 and for more than 200 crop circles between the years 1978 and 1991, with 1,000 other circles not being made by them. After their announcement, the two men demonstrated how they did it. A few people commented on that. Basically, it when, once they did it, it didn't kill the subject matter. It, in fact, was an impetus to more people uh, doing it. Since the early 1990s, the UK arts collective named Circle Makers, founded by artists Rod Dickinson and John Lundberg, have been creating crop circles in the UK and around the world, both as part of their art practice and for commercial clients. On the night of July 11th and 12th, 1992, a crop circle making competition for a prize of 3,000 pounds, partly funded by the Arthur Kessler Foundation, which again is very, very familiar name in parapsychology circles, or no pun intended, uh, was held in Berkshire. The winning entry was produced by three engineers who worked for a company called Westland Helicopters, and all they did was use rope, PVC pipe, a plank string, and a telescopic device and two stepladders. According to Rupert Sheldrake, the competition was organized by him and John Mitchell, co-sponsored by The Guardian. Prize money came from PM, a German magazine. Sheldrake wrote, quote, the experiment was conclusive. Humans could indeed make all the features of state-of-the-art crop formations at that time. Again, this is 1992. Eleven of the 12 teams made more or less impressive formations that followed the set design. Now, I wanted to read that because it makes just those few 
excerpts make a few points. You have at, at the height of, of, again, this whole thing in the 90s when Doug and Dave came forth, they wound up claiming to make, have made several hundred circles in a 13 or 14 year span. They didn't claim another thousand. The peak year was 204, again, just, just you know, a little over 200. And simple circles and complex circles have both been very visibly demonstrated to have been made by people. In other words, it can be done. And they didn't, they didn't give them weeks to do this. This was like, what can you do in 24 hours? You know, that kind of thing, you know, these, these contests and whatnot. So with that as a backdrop, what we decided to do for this topic was we read uh, several articles. Two of them have the name Levengood attached to them. Uh, they're, they were both of the, of the Levengood, and the, one of the co-authors was uh, Nancy Talbot, published papers in a scholarly journal called Physiologia Plantarum. Uh, one was in 1944, the other was in 1999, I believe if I remember the dates correctly. And what they were trying to do is, again, establish some sort of anomaly. You know, are, are there physical anomalies to the plant material inside a crop circle as opposed to outside the crop circle? And what was outside was ostensibly the control uh, part to the experiment and, and, and the research they did. There was a physicist named... Eljo Hasselhoff, who in part responds to the work of Levengood and Talbot and you know, offers some of his own perspectives in a third article we read. And then we read a fourth article written by three authors from the Journal of Scientific Exploration that critiqued those other three, okay, that, that they, were, they basically uh, exposed problems in the research methodology and some of the use of the evidence and, of course, as you would expect, some of the conclusions. So let, I'm going to just comment on the on one of the 11 good articles that, because the second one repeats a lot of this content and then we'll jump into it. So in terms of 11 good, I'll read the part of the abstract here. He says, crop formations consist of geometrically organized regions ranging from 2 to 80 meters in diameter in which the plants are flattened in a horizontal position. Plants from crop formations display anatomical alterations which cannot be accounted for by assuming the formations are hoaxes. Near the soil surface, the curved stems often form complex swirls with vortex-type patterns. In the present paper, evidence is presented which indicates that structural and cellular alterations take place in plants exposed within the confines of the circle-type formations, differences which were determined to be statistically significant when compared with control plants taken outside the formations. These transformations were manifested at the macroscopic level as abnormal node swelling, gross malformations during embryogenesis, and charred epidermal tissue. Significant changes in seed germination and development were found, and at the microscopic level, differences were observed in cell wall pit structures. Affected plants also have characteristics suggesting the involvement of transient high temperatures. That's another way of saying periodic you know, zapping, I guess, in lay terms. I mean, you know, not, not sustained high temperatures, but something happened with an increased temperature for a short amount of time. So the main takeaways in the article, you know, that just to mention here, they tested 86 test groups. A group was six to 10 stalks taken anywhere from one to five days after the circle formation. 
And the article goes in to talk about, you know, some of the, you know, anomalous things that they saw some of which were already alluded to in the, uh, in the abstract. At one point, it says, uh, if the plants were allowed to grow or allowed to continue development throughout the growing season, the seed structures at around harvest maturity were indistinguishable in external appearance from those in the surrounding upright plants. So basically, they said if you took the, the stalks from inside the circle and outside the circle and you just let them grow normally – you wouldn't really see any difference. And so they were, what they were talking about was there's a difference, of course, visually in, in terms of what happens to them. And then, of course, you know, at the cellular level, and again, some of these sort of heat signatures uh, were, were sort of what, what drew their attention uh, as far as the control group versus the ones they were looking on. Um, one more comment here. They did theorize, again, about transient heat source being uh, the culprit. They also mentioned microwaves as possibly being, you know, the explanation for this sort of thing. Um, they said ultimately the, the the heat source was unknown, but again, they wanted to throw in the, the possibility of, you know, microwaves somehow being involved. So with that introduction, uh, any of you who want to sort of chime in on any of the articles, you know, what what you thought was interesting let, let's let's sort of hold off the, the the critical one for you know until later uh, and talk about the Levin good articles and the Hasselhoff article anything that you thought was especially interesting telling uh, kind of like I'm not sure they can say that moment or you know internal consistency anything like that so what did you think of uh, the Levin good and the Hasselhoff presentations I I've, found uh, just, I found it interesting uh-huh. that uh, this is this is Doug Doug O <laughs> mm-hmm. that uh, microwaving a plant doesn't necessarily knock it over, and so mm-hmm. uh, I mean, and just I just you know I took a wheat stalk from my yard and I put it in the microwave and I just not nuked it for a few seconds and it <laughs> sort of blew up and it smelled it smelled but it didn't you know it didn't so I I just kind of wondered where they got the idea that uh, plasma vortexes or microwave energies was coming you know where that idea came from and if that wasn't just something already in the paranormal discussions and so they said well this maybe it's maybe it it was they they didn't really specify did they you know no. when, when they brought no. that up and you know you're right but I mean. If you take the nodes, let's just talk about the nodes. Because I, I remember Linda Moulton Howe on Coast to Coast making a big deal out about this, you know, and talking about microwaving and heating and whatnot for the same reasons that Levengood points out here in the article. But if if you just expose stocks to microwaves generally, they're not going to get a focused point response. You know what I mean? It, it's not going to affect them just at one point, like like this node. Okay. You're going to experience what you just described. You know, it's it's going to be, for lack of a better term, traumatized in more than one place. Mm-hmm. So that, yeah, that kind of stuck out to me as, boy, that would have to be awfully focused. But of course, she would she would argue that it was, and a, and a valet was, you know, later on speculated about some sort of micro microwave weapon or something mm-hmm. test or something like that. So you'd have to argue that it was focused. But go go ahead. Anybody else, or, or Doug? You can, if you wanted to. Well, I, I know you know you mentioned Jacques Vallée, and and just for people who do, who aren't aware, he he's just famous in the sort of the UFO research world, and, and sort of 
acclaimed for being kind of skeptical, but still a believer. And uh, he, he, of course, speculates that some of these crop circles were designed or used by a, a military weapon. And <laughs> uh, they wanted to use the crops because then you could you could sort of focus the you could measure how accurate your your weapon is, I guess. Like a calibration. You're right, right. Calibration is the word. Yep. And he speculated that a long time ago. And so as over the years, as these crop formations became more uh, detailed, he said, well, see, that just there you go, because uh, th- these weapons are becoming more accurate. So so I'm sure that that sort of primed the thinking of some of these researchers of, of Levin Good and his partner. Yeah, well, I'll confess it, it, it primed me, you know, mentally when I heard it because I thought, okay, if there was such a weapon, of course, which is a leap, I mean, you'd have to assume that, but if there was, then that could, in theory, account for precision. In other words, if you're going to aim this thing at a wheat field or whatever field, and, and basically to have to hit every stalk at the same place, I mean, if you had, if you had that kind of weapon who could who could deliver that sort of targeted microwave beam or whatever it was. And so that they, they all fell in the same direction and they were all bent in the same, you know, the same point of vulnerability. Let, let's put it that way. That would be pretty impressive. And in the absence of, you know, anything, cause it didn't make any sense to, to have like aliens do it to me anyway. Like what would the point be? You know, why not just, if they wanted us to have a message, you know, why not just give us a message? You know, if they want to communicate with each other, well, I thought they had telepathy. You know, it, it, it just didn't make any sense, you know, on, for, the, for the whole alien thing. So this seemed like a reasonable, although highly speculative, alternative. So I, I remember reading that and thinking, well, you know, you know it's, it's valet. So he's probably thought a little bit about this, you know, and you read something about it that he wrote. And it's like, okay, well, if they have that, well, it's, just, it's better than this other thing over here. And mm-hmm. that's kind of where it sat for me, you know, for a long time. Anybody else with any impressions of you know you had you had to read these I mean some of the some of the parts I'll confess I mean when they get into the math it just you know kills me <laughs> yeah. you know like and I know they've got to throw all these math formulas in here to show how they're arriving at this or that statistic plus or minus this fudge factor I get that but you know that that kind of kills me when they when they do that but you know there there were certain things in here that I thought okay I'll, here's the second one in the abstract this just struck me that there's something wrong with with this particular article right away Levengood and Talbot this is their their abstract and this just struck there's something in here to see if you catch it that struck me as like ah you know why didn't that that should have stood out to the to the reviewers here okay the findings reported here lend further support to a decade of research which suggests that over 95% <laughs> of worldwide crop formations involve organized ion plasma vortices that deliver lower atmosphere energy components of sufficient magnitude to produce significant bending, expansion, and the formation of unique expulsion cavities in plant stem pulvini as well as significant changes in seedling development. 95% worldwide. I mean, but <laughs> this is 1999, and by this time, Doug and Dave and these other contests have been run, and they've shown that they can do this, and they've only claimed you know, 200 of 1,000, so that's 800. That's not even 95%. I can do that much math. So like, where does this 95% figure come from? 
That was that was my first question when I read this because even if you lop off Doug and Dave, that's, okay, now you're at about eighty percent. And if you have these other crop circle groups that's, that are saying like, "Yeah, we know how to do this. Watch us." Well, that even lowers it even more. So I don't know where they're getting that number. I didn't know the, where they got the plasma vortices either. Yeah, I know. I didn't. That was the next thing. Like, like really? What is that? You know, can, can we can we go see one so we know one exists? You know, I, yeah. Yeah. before you credit it with this. <laughs> you know, it's uh, funny. Uh, this is Van Dorn. Um, Levengood actually had a, another peer-reviewed article that came out in 1995 in the journal of scientific exploration, which is the one that, that the article critiquing has. Mm -hmm. And so it's curious to me that they don't mention this article in their critique, but it's called semi molten meteoric iron associated with crop formation. And this kind of, this kind of, kind of answers maybe a little, a little bit about the the vortice thing. Here's the abstract for it. It says we we report the unusual discovery of a natural iron glaze composed of fused particles of meteoric origin, concentrated entirely within a crop formation in England, appearing shortly after the intense Perseid meteor shower in August 1993. Mm -hmm. Physical and chemical characteristics as well as spatial distributions indicated reheating to a semi-molten state at the time of crop impact, suggesting involvement with an iron plasma vortex, a mechanism previously considered... Uh, the chief candidate in scientific investigations of crop formations. Abnormalities in seedling growth was also consistent with the unusual responses of seeds taken from numerous crop formations. So you go through the article and you come down to the kind of their conclusion or their hypothesis. And this is what they say. Is it, is it possible that a pair of these downward directed counterclockwise plasma vortices intersected and captured meteoric dust along the way, which in turn was maintained or heated back to a semi-molten state by the microwaves of subvortices, which carried it to the ground with its subsequent crop flattening energies. And uh, they're saying that those are coming from the ionic sphere, the highest part of our, of our atmosphere. Mm-hmm. So you know, I don't, I don't know if that's going into their thinking at all. And they, he doesn't mention where this idea of these vortices in other scientific, you know, places has come from, but. Well, let, let, let's, let's think about that. Let's just say that, okay, they're correct in this one crop circle about this mechanism. It, it would seem to me there then that the first thing I would look for is whenever the Perseid meteor shower happens, is there a correlation between similar circles and the meteor shower? That would be the first thing I'd want to know. And the second is, okay, let's say this is right. Okay, that's one crop circle. Why weren't there more? And how would we account for, again, let's just say at least a thousand. We'll lop off Doug and Dave. Let's just say half that. Let's just say 500 aren't claimed by a specific group. How does that help us? identify a mechanism for those i'm not sure where they generated this idea of of plasma coming from the ionosphere but on talbot's website her she's part of this research group and they speculate so they they argue on the site and they they don't support the arguments with uh, peer-reviewed research so it's like i don't know where they came up with this idea but they basically 
suggest that because a lot of the UK is on uh, is um, on like a chalk. Like uh, if you, you dig down, right, there's a layer in the in the earth of a chalk, mm-hmm. and uh, that's a porous rock. And then whenever water goes through that porous rock, through uh, through um, just um, through the through the end of like a growing season, uh, when the aquifers are, are low late in the summer, that creates an electric charge in the chalk, and then somehow this electric charge creates a current, which somehow during severe weather attracts plasma vortices from the ionosphere, which uh, lands in certain spectacular formations, creating these uh, crop formations. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great, but I would like to see some more evidence, you know, so, so just some better support for this balls of light idea, I guess, yeah. is, is where, where it's coming from. I mean, it's just really, I think, I find that more interesting of an idea than UFOs and maybe more interesting than military, but still it seems wildly uh, speculative. But the articles, I, what's interesting, compelling about these two articles, or the the, not not the meteor one, but the the other two mm-hmm. is they they pulled the crops, you know, specific stalks out of the formations, and they allegedly compared them to stalks outside the formation of quote unquote non hoaxes, like authentic mm-hmm. uh, formations. Um, and then that's and so then that's sort of compelling, right? And that's what all the paranormal right. people How, kind of look at is like. However, authentic is. Determined. Yeah, how do you yeah. define what authentic is? But so in these specific ones, why are the crops? You know, why are all? See, this what, what they allude to is all the plants inside the formations are altered in a weird way. Therefore, weirdness. You know, therefore, not a guy <laughs> with a plank. I guess. Right. Yeah, because there's an ar- uh, article by Joseph Mason titled Arguments Against the Hoax Theory of Crop Circles, and they actually take samples of these stalks and microscopically look at them from the stems inside the circle versus the stems outside the circle. And there's clearly a different microscopic pattern going on between the two, uh, which I find fascinating. So there's something going on and even the elongation of the stems I think is fascinating. So they, they prove that the nodes on the stems inside the circle are longer than the stems outside the circle. And so their argument in this article is that, you know, that's beyond a plank, a human pushing it down with a piece of wood. Yeah. Somehow something is stretching those, those nodes. Which they, which they yeah, theorize that it's heat, however, which mm-hmm. way the heat is happening. But the heat mm-hmm. is causing those stems to elongate and bend in such a way that it doesn't break and whatnot. And versus when a human mashes it down, you know, the stems don't receive that heat and they break and they have different patterns. But what's also interesting is that on a macroscopic level, there seems to be a difference as well. Well, yeah, that, these articles – you know they they make those same arguments. The first two articles, mm-hmm. but they the cell wall stuff. Yeah, yeah. They suppose. I mean, we're we're supposed to assume then the rest of the crops inside the circles, and none of the crops outside the circles have those same features. Yeah, that that's one of the criticisms in the the multi the grassy at all. You know, the, those two other authors point out that they uh, as they were taking samples from inside the circle if there wasn't 
apparently, you know, visually like this anomaly that didn't make it into the sample. So, you know, even, even methodologically that it wasn't clear either why you would weed out something you found in the circle on that basis, you know, just, well, it, it, it didn't look weird enough. So we didn't include it in the sample. Well, that's, that's a questionable method there. So there, there's, there's that issue. And then also apparently not checking, you know, you know that, that you could really not addressing the question. Well, is what we're finding in literally every stock in the circle or are we just taking a sample? Are we are we are we creating a group, you know, to be studied, all of which have, you know, this particular anomaly, or at least looks like it's something happened to it, you know. So, in other words, there's a difference there between I'm going to walk in the circle and I'm going to grab a handful and pull them out, and that that's our sample. I'm not, you know, I got it now, as opposed to pulling them out and then picking through them. And then weeding the ones out that look more normal than the others, and then calling what's left a sample. You know, I, I thought that was that that's a problem. That's a methodological problem. I don't know that it undoes, you know, what Levengood and Talbot are arguing, because you still have to explain what is happening to them or, or what has happened to them. Weren't some of the crops outside the circle? They were. They were yeah. discarded also because they yeah. matched the crops in the circle. Right. And so they the, the, there's a real met- I think that the last article points out some some really substantial methodological problems with the Levengood and the Levengood Talbot, you know, research with with you know what they're doing. Again, that alone doesn't invalidate, you know, their hypothesis, okay? But when you're talking about statistical differences, between something happening in a circle and outside of a circle, then it certainly skewers that. You know, so th- those are two different things: the, s- the statistical stuff, and then hey, you know, look at look at this stock over here, and look at the anomalous stuff under the microscope. We need to explain that. Those are two different but related things. And so I I, I do f- think that the last article really correctly uh, chastises Levengood and Talbot methodologically um what what that ultimately says about their conclusions i think is a little less certain but it it kind of casts a, a little bit of a pall you know over um you know over what they're doing you know and, and they're therefore what they're saying and, and how fair that is i don't know but it was it was just interesting you know that that they actually you know were selective like that yeah i i found the first two the 11 the first to eleven good articles, really interesting, and I was really engaged. And then I read the Grazzi article, which is the title is "A Questionable Science of Crop Circles," mm-hmm. and I was like so dis disillusioned with the eleven good articles. I'm like, well, what can we, you know, that why didn't they go out and do it again and fix their research and fix their methods? And maybe they did, and they didn't like the results. I mean, I I was just sort of dis- disillusioned with this whole idea. And so now when I I hear about in the crop circle community. And I've really come, came into this. I was sort of ignorant regarding it aside from just the, I was aware of the phenomena. Uh, but now if you, if you look online and uh, the people discussing this, they always mentioned the, everywhere. They mentioned the 11 good articles mm-hmm. and I'm like, but that those articles have been really called into question by more recent uh, you know, peer reviewed articles, which is interesting too. this, this uh, grassy article, they, so the eleven good articles were published in physio, physio, 
Boy, one of those Latin terms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so physiology uh, of plants or something like that. Yeah. In that, that specific journal. And then the grassy, they, they wanted to be in that journal also, but it was rejected yeah, because, because they, I mean, no, nothing to talk about here. Yeah. Right. They, yeah. The, the, uh, plant physiology journal, just like we're done with that. And that is surprising. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, I'm not going to say it's a conspiracy, but it's like, really? And so then they found another journal to to, publish, to produce it, which is I'm glad because it really calls into question these articles that everybody who looks into paranormal causes for these things relies on. Mm-hmm. So out of curiosity, Mike, you're the one who found these articles for us. My question is, how did you find them? And the reason why I'm asking is because Talbot has her own website, as we mentioned earlier, and she has a little uh, tab here called published papers. Mm-hmm. And she has only three published papers and all three of them have Levin Good's name on it. Now I get that she's part of a research team. And so maybe she's, you know, she only wants you to know a little bit of the material that's out there, but I would think that she would want to have as much published material as she could find and put that on her website. And there's yeah. only three published papers that she can find. That's that's troubling. So, yeah, it is. I mean, my my method is I'll I'll use something like ProQuest. You know, the the science databases. In, in this case, it would be like biology, just the, the broad biolog, uh, biological sciences database. And then once you find, I always look for a, the most recent article, because typically the most recent article will cite other ones that have been published. And so I can start making a list and then going back into the journal databases and seeing which which of those are available in PDF. So that's typically how I'll approach uh, you know a subject like this. And that turned up the the JSE critique. You know, just just this I don't know if it was a week ago, a couple of weeks ago, I I got something. I think it was somebody in email or I can't remember how I got it, but but basically something posted online. I, I think it was a blog about Hasselhoff. You know, like. Here's the guy who solved the crop circle thing, and and again, his his name is is in that final article, and really, you know, they they give him a couple gut punches, you know, over his own you know methodology, and that blog post never mentioned again the critical article, you know. So again, is that a conspiracy? Is that just someone who doesn't want you to know that this research is criticized? Well, probably, you know, if, if they're blogging about it, that, that there's a good chance that's the case. But I don't think it's any more, you know, sinister than that. They want to, you know, they want to prop up a certain narrative or, you know, get people interested in it or whatever. I mean, who knows, you know, why they're doing what they're doing. But for our listeners here, I, let, let me just go through the, I, I highlighted a few things in the last article, the one that was critical. And again, the, the title of that is Balls of Light, colon, you know, subtitle is The Questionable Science of Crop Circles by uh, Francesco Grassi, Claudio Cochillo, and Paolo Russo. And that's 2005 Journal of Sci- Scientific Exploration, Volume 19, Number 2. And they go through and again critique the Levengood and the Levengood and Talbot articles, at least the, those two that we read. And just a few things just to pull out here. Uh, Levin Good asserted he had found anatomical alterations, the so-called anomalies in crop formations, which could not be accounted for by assuming a man-made origin of circles. Levin Good concluded that these alterations were probably caused by a thermomechanical effect due to thermal expansion of the cell walls directly related to an absorption of electromagnetic energy. 
During an experiment carried out in Maryland in 1997, Levingood and Talbot made by themselves a crop circle claiming that the gravitropic response of the flattened plants was no more than about 10% in the three days since the circle creation. So he says, we're going to discuss these assumptions. Well, here are some of the things that you know they, they pointed out that, that just sort of were red flags for them. First, uh, they say it's very important to highlight that two of the three crop circles, again, that the Levengood and Levengood and Talbot studied, two of the three appeared in areas where numerous known circle makers live and have been creating crop circles for over a decade. Uh, one of them, again, is a fairly famous formation from Bratton in 1990, something called Operation Black, Blackbird, where an earlier hoax sponsored by national newspapers took place in 1983. So they're saying, well, you know, we should have known that. They should have said that. They talk a little bit about the Doug and Dave thing. And then they really get into, again, the, uh, you know, some of the more substantive things. It is noticeable that in his 2001 article in Physiologia Plantarum Journal, the number of samples taken at each site is not listed. This is in reference to Hasselhoff. So they're saying Hasselhoff never listed how many samples that were taken at each site. This is a surprising omission as most scientific papers list sample sizes to help demonstrate that the statistical patterns they discuss are not limited to just a few data points. This is an important consideration as Hasselhoff's 2001 article clearly implies that the effect they claim to have discovered applies to many crop circles and not just a few. But So their, their point is, we never really know that because he never told us how many samples he took from how many circles. So again, that, that's, a, that's a conclusion that overreaches the data. Uh, another remarkable point concerns the lack of a standardized criterion for the inclusion of data sets in the control group. Some plants taken very far from the formations were defined as control and considered as undisturbed samples. Their average values and standard deviations were calculated, blah, 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 blah. He says, as a matter of fact, even some upright plants taken outside the formations were considered affected and not control samples. Now, read, I'll read that again. Again, according to you know, what Hasselhoff wrote, even some upright plants taken outside the formation. So now we, don't ha- we have ones that aren't bent and they're outside. They're still consider- considered affected by whatever energy, okay, whatever heat source, and not as control items. Again, they're just saying that just doesn't make sense. So they say we have to suppose that the authors decided to assign these plants to the affected group rather than the control group after seeing that their nodes were no longer than those of the, of the other control plants. So that's another way of saying, what are the criteria for being affected, non-affected? And you would think that one of the criteria would be you're in the circle or you're not. <laughs> you know, I mean, that, that doesn't seem like, like too difficult to kind of focus on if you're have, creating an experimental group versus a control group. So uh, let me let me just pick out one more. Um, they're talking about kind of the mechanism, the rationale, and they talk about explanations, okay? It is normally accepted by quote-unquote quote believers that crop circles are made by intelligent beings because allegedly natural phenomena could not draw such a wide variety of complex geometrical symbolic patterns. However, this compelling evidence is not present in simple, round, or irregular, that is, non-geometrical shapes. If an article focuses only on simple circles, and again, the 11 good articles only focused on simple circles, 
its conclusions cannot be extended to complex circles without relying on the implicit questionable assumption that only one cause of stem bending can ever exist. If an article does not address complex shapes, then its relevance for what people call crop circles has yet to be demonstrated. And lastly, they talk about the, the heat, the amount of heating, if, if, especially if it's microwave, uh, because you know we all know, because we have microwave ovens, that it's the water content in a certain thing that makes the whole thing work. So they say, the thermal expansion of liquid water from 15 degrees Celsius to 90 degrees Celsius is no more than 3.5% and cannot account for node expansions in the range of 30% to 200%, like those measured in the formations of Levengood and Talbot. So that's another way of saying, look, you know, we know when water boils by microwave means, and again, we have this 3.5% water expansion you know, under those conditions of boiling. How can that possibly account for a node expansion of 30% to 200%? So they're saying that the, it just doesn't add up as a mechanism. So even if it's a weapon, a la valet, that's that's microwave stuff, and it really it really can't account for what they're seeing. That of course means well, what did do it? And again, that to me that's one of the still one of the big questions. You know, you, you have this effect. What creates the effect? So having jumped into that article at a few points, please, anything else that you want to say struck you about the articles or the topics? by all means, chime in here. Uh, this is Gadawa. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I think what you're pointing out here in this uh, Grassy article, after reading the 11 good articles that were very pro-crop um, circles uh, being, quote, authentic, which really only means unknown origins. <laughs> right. That's just kind of funny, like, what authentically what, you know? Um, authentically unknown. <laughs> yeah, which, which, of course, goes gets back to this idea of, you know, the researcher bias already, you know, embedded within the, uh, you know, the experiments. But um, what you what you point out to me strikes me because when I read those 11 good articles, I was also like most of you guys, you know, pretty neophyte about all this stuff. I'd heard about the, you know, the crop circles, but I didn't, I'd never heard about these scientific uh, aspects, you know, like Levengood points out, we, we mentioned the stem node difference, the varied cell walls, the microscopic changes, the seedling changes, uh, all these kinds of things. It's like, wow, I didn't know that. And of course, you're reading this and, and it's, it's quite, you know, on the surface imp- impressive, especially if you're not, I don't know the scientific math either. But then when you get to the, um, the Grassy article, the, the questions, as Mike was pointing out, that like like Doug Van Dorn too. I also had this lo- sort of like, wow. Then you know, it's it's so important the things that are left out, and it, methodology is so important in establishing truth because it just points out how if you ignore certain pieces of evidence, if you have smaller samplings like the Levin Good um, you know research did, if you uh, you know take data that doesn't fit your theory and throw it out, you know you can pre. It's amazing how much you can allegedly prove. And I think that, you know, this points up a problem, <laughs> two problems in our society. One is why we're a conspiracy-oriented culture, because pretty much any natural phenomenon is going to have anomalies, because that's, that's just reality. And so if you focus on the anomalies, you can construct a completely uh, fallacious uh, scenario. And secondly, it points up to me, you know, 
the the pro, you know the benefits of science and the problem you know benefits of science is this is why we have the ability to discourse and you know uh, point out well here's where you here is where you were missing but also it shows how much of this we have this problem in science in general going on today where there's so much of this politics injected where uh, cherry picking all this cherry picking data and all this kind of stuff is is showing up to be a, a constant problem, you know? Um, but I'm grateful for the grassy article to, to, to point up those methodology issues. It, it goes to show that it method is just as important as the data, if not more, more important because the method can craft the conclusion, you know, mm-hmm. and, and if you're using a fallacious method, you're going to have a fallacious c- conclusion. Yeah. It, it really shows how important peer review is because you could be a researcher and you're not trying to you're you're not deliberately intentionally using a, a particular method to craft a conclusion. You you could be totally unaware of what you're missing or what you still need to think about or how you need to tweak something to avoid this other thing over here. And so if you have three, four, five, you know, half a dozen, you know, experts in the field who understand what you're trying to learn you know, what you're trying to prove or disprove or just discover, it's pretty unusual that all of them would miss the same things, you know? And so it's really important, you know, to, to submit work like this, you know, to, to people and, you know, the 11 good articles. Yeah. You know, that, that went through peer, the peer review process, but there you, there you had, you know, we don't necessarily know what their process is. Do they have like one person look at it or two and call it good? And so stuff does get through, you know, there, there are, there are questions that still don't get asked, but the, you know, the point of peer review is not perfection because there is no such thing as, as perfect peer review because there are no perfect people. But the, the, the point of peer review, you know, again, is to try to catch these things up front as opposed to after the fact. And, you know, since a journal will go out to hundreds or thousands of readers, that's like multiplying peer review. So they, some of those people will catch things, even the reviewers don't. But you try to minimize that. You know, you, you, you try to cut it off, you know, before it, it goes out into the public arena and then gets picked up by some science reporter you know, <laughs> at the UK Guardian. <laughs> or whatever and it winds up on the supermarket impulse shelf you know that they're they're just they're trying to do that it's it's imperfect but you know i i think the way you just summarized it's like yeah you know that it's pretty important to at least try you know to to weed this stuff out well it strikes me is that if this is the best that we've got i mean it's (laughs) embarrassing but but you know, towards the end of Grassi's uh, paper, uh, he talks about the the other articles that all the hypothesis formulated about the circles. And again, this paper was published eleven years ago, and mm-hmm. I'm going to get to a point here. So, uh, all the hypotheses formulated about the circles creations were based on a thermomechanical effect, but the authors never demonstrated the possibility for the stem nodes to lengthen under heating. Conditions. It should not be a difficult task to verify whether crops, (laughs) stems, indeed elongate under the action of radiant heat without burning or killing the plants. But as long as this kind of laboratory evidence for the thermomechanical effect is not provided, node elongation as as great as those allegedly observed for crop formations cannot be related to an electromagnetic radiation absorption. So this is 11 years ago. I mean, how hard is it 
to, to prove that the nodes elongate under heat. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you know, at the beginning of the grassy article, when they said, Hey, we tried to submit this to, to, uh, you know, the, the physiologia plantarum. And they said, quote, no scientific inquiries being conducted on crop circles anymore or something like that. I mean, when somebody reads that, uh, like, let's say they're a grad student and they happen to be interested in this, or they come across this article, oh, I've heard of crop circles. Let's read this. And they read that line. They're thinking, oh, now I know where to not invest my time because <laughs> you know, they'll never get it published. Or, and again, that, that's, that's an exaggerated conclusion. But again, having gone through the grad school thing, that's going to scare people away because you don't want to invest months and years into something and try to convince somebody to give you money to do something and then you can't get it published, you know, which is really unfortunate. Uh, but I, th- I think you're right. Yeah. How hard could this be? By the way, guys, I got a question. Did anyone else miss this? I, I, the whole thing, balls of light. I, where did that come from? I, I, I didn't read about any hypothesis about balls of light that, in anything. That was we Hasselhoff. Read. Yeah, that was Hasselhoff. Oh, I missed that one article. Then okay. Again, well, you know, he's trying to come up with a mechanism, but you know, they he gets criticized for. Well, well hey, that that's kind of made up, and then it's coming you know, from eyewitnesses. I mean, it starts because right. of eyewitnesses. Yeah. Right. And so you've seen the numerous videos, and, and that's what he says in the paper. It's eyewitnesses. And I mean, there is there are some convincing videos. I know videos can be faked and whatnot, but I mean, we've yeah, all video- seen those videos out there where you see a ball of light fly over a crop field and boom, uh, circles appear. Isn't that appear. from the movie Signs? Though? <laughs> <laughs> right, that. right. 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 Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm so jaded about video. Yeah. You know, it's, right. I just, it's, un- it's unfortunate. But yeah. we just live in a day and age where too easily it's faint. not it's yeah. not compelling anymore. You know, even even if it was real, it's not compelling anymore because you you know so much can be done with it. It doesn't make I you want to set up a camera and just sit out there. There's been reported over ten thousand since the seventies have been reported. Yeah. Um, well, in Italy, like- they started prosecuting people for crop damage. I mean, I live in the Midwest yeah. where crops are that's your you're, you're growing, mm-hmm. you know, that's big bucks and I I was talking to uh someone who works in the banking industry and in ag finance and if she heard of any crop circles in Illinois and she looked at me like yeah, I was flying someplace and she was just next to me in the airport and and, and I was reading these articles actually. <laughs> what are you reading? You know. So uh, anyway, she she's like never heard of it and it would be horrified at the thought of someone purposely going out there and destroying crops for art. Yeah. You know, or you know, military, you know, the the whole idea of it being a military weapon. I mean, Jacques Vallée was talking about this 20 years ago or whatever. Well, we we've had a few wars since then and no one's talked about a microwave weapon knocking down Taliban, you know? Yeah. So I, I, I find that less compelling too. And the argument that, well, human here, and here's the thing, humans can't, you know, people look at this, like they look at the pyramids, humans can't do that. We need to have aliens or something. I mean, that's this whole goofy ancient aliens explanation, which we know now there are mechanisms that the ancients could use to build the pyramids. I mean, it's been, you know, and the ancient aliens debunk video goes into that. Just some some really great explanations. Well, I mean, have you seen corn mazes in the in the U.S.? I mean, some people the designs people can come up with to have a corn maze in this time of year, mm-hmm. which we're recording this in the fall, and almost it's almost fall, almost autumn. Uh, it, it's astounding, and it's because they're just designing it on uh, using GPS. Yep. technology and they're designing it on their computer and they're telling their little 
combines and and tractors and actually i think actually some of these some of these they plant ahead of time and they just don't plant seed there and then as the crops grow up you have your your uh, your corn maze which are just famous and, and i've gotten lost in some of these you know that the whole you know just follow the left wall and it will get you out of the maze it doesn't work in some of these things because they're just incredibly <laughs> well designed and i'm sorry that some people can't figure out how art is done but I mean, I can't figure out how the Mona Lisa was done. I mean, that's that's brilliant, but I don't. I'm pretty sure it wasn't an alien. It's actually a human who did, who who drew the Mona, who painted the Mona Lisa. And so, just because we, someone looks at a really incredible design that can only be discerned from above, I mean, and the automatic conclusion is, well, it must be aliens, is or you know, or or, or maybe now it's it's vortices, plasma vortices. I mean, it, it's maybe it's just more mundane than that. And clearly, these eleven uh, eleven good articles need to be, re, you know, yeah, should some, not be somebody relied needs, on. Yeah, they they shouldn't be relied on. It's a good way to put it. And uh, on the other side of the coin, somebody should sort of take up the mantle and and try to uh, even on a small scale, you know, reproduce, you know, the suggested mechanisms or at least test the suggested mechanisms. You know, because it's it's one thing to say, oh, this required heat, so let's come up with a heat source. Ah, I got one. You know, here, let, maybe it was this. That that's one thing. But then taking that and saying, okay, you know, kind of like the MythBusters approach. How do we reverse engineer that? I mean, how do we, you know, how do we do that? You know, either by totally artificial means, and then okay, now that we know it can be done by this means, how might it have been done? You know, more in more natural circumstances or something like that. You know, so th- that's what I would want to see. Um, like, I don't know if it was DVD or, or Doug O brought up the, the whole thing about the chalk in the soil, you know, being some kind of conductor or whatever. Well, hey, that can't be hard to, to establish or, or overturn either. You know, can this, this soil condition, can something interact with it to produce XYZ effect? Well, that again, that's something pretty testable. So somebody needs to do that. You know, so I... I when I read through these, you know, I, it was, it was hard for me to get to the end and think to myself, this just all looks man-made. But on the other hand, my two caveats are, okay, you do have instances where, you know, you'll have a pilot that, that, you know, will say, Hey, I flew over this field. And then half an hour later I flew back and there it was, you know, this, this design. And I didn't notice it before. Again, you know, that you can have human error, but let's just give the pilot the benefit of the doubt. What about those cases where you seem to have really, really fast appearance? So th- those, in my mind, I, I'm still suspending judgment on because I, I just – I don't think – just like I don't think, you know, we need aliens, you know, to explain crop circles or something like that for any number of points. I also don't think that all pilots – that report seeing sudden appearance of crop circles are all in cahoots and they're all lying. You know, I, I just think that's a, as just as unreasonable. So I would want to know about those kinds of cases. And then, all right, we do have in a circle, let's just call it a predominance of stalks that are bent a certain way and they have certain physiological figures. So if it's not microwaves, if it's not vortexes, you know, if, well, what is it? Because we still have the effect. We, I still want to know what the cause is to the effect. And is the answer, well, somebody stepped on that with a board. Again, I, 
it, maybe it is, you know, but that's, that's where I go back to the, to the numbers. If, you know, can, can you actually establish that the numbers are high? It, I hate to say it this way, but a lot of these subjects get propelled by people quoting other people who are just quoting hearsay. You know, is there really a systematic um, tallying of these, these things? I mean, in other words, how, how good is the count? How reliable is the count? I, I don't know. And, I, and unfortunately, I don't know that we can know. But, but I'm only going to be persuaded that, you know, we're not dealing with just people. A, if a, if a very high number can be established reliably. And B, again, what about sudden appearance situations? Those are the two things that keep me interested in the subject. Because after going through these articles, I, it, just, it feels like there's not a whole lot to 95% of this. But again, I don't, I'm, I don't feel willing to say that I can just wipe this one off the table and everything else I'd read on it would be a waste of my time. I'm, I'm almost there, but I'm not quite there. I, I don't yeah. know how you guys feel about it, but well, can we do a quick survey and just see who thinks there's a chance that it could be a non-human factor? Sure. Go ahead. I, I think, I think there's a chance that it could be still. I think some of them can. I, I, I like what the, the Talbot research, you know, her research team, what they speculate. I just wish someone would go out and test it. Yeah, I thought some of the some of the reasoning seemed well. It seemed reasonable that some designs might just be part of natural phenomena. I think it'd be pretty pretty spectacular. We see complex designs in nature all the time. I just it's yeah. all spec. It's just speculative right now. Well, it, it, that would be kind of like our first episode on on the dog. Do they know that, that you're coming home? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it'd be really cool if there's some like you know geomagnetic thing that goes off in a dog's head that creates some sort of connection somehow with its own. I mean, to me that that's scientific, it's a natural explanation, but it, it's not any less cool. Right. I think it's natural. If, it's kind of fascinating. If there are ground currents, vast currents in the ground and we, we know there, there are, and they're causing some of these crop formations. Well, maybe the, that energy can be harnessed somehow or someday and you put to use. I mean, Maybe I'm thinking like an American. How can I make money on this? But I, I mean, th- that's just uh, there are entrepreneurs in other countries. As well. <laughs> yeah, there's a story behind that. We'll go into it later. But yeah. I, I, uh, I, th- I just think that's really interesting, uh, something to explore. And I, I wish somebody would do it. Um, so I, I, I'm open to the idea. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm open to there being some sort of, uh, you know, again from our perspective, anomalous natural causation here. I don't think this has anything to do with an alien intelligence in any way. No. Um, I, I just, I don't see any evidence for that at all, but I, I will hold out a, a, a very small per percentile uh, possibility. Again, given my other two caveats that, you know, 99% of these, you know, okay, I think they're probably going to be man-made, but there's that one or 2% or, you know, that you just it just makes you wonder, you know, that there's not some really interesting force here, you know, some some natural thing going on. Mike, you can't rule out aliens using boards. <laughs> <laughs> right. If they need combustible engines to travel here. <laughs> yeah. If they, if they, if they got to have fire from their rockets to get here from deep space, you're right. I guess they could use boards too. Yeah. yeah one of the things that, uh, 
we need to be aware of, I think, is kind of this either or. It's either guys with boards or it's aliens. I mean, right. there could there could possibly be other ways that these crop circles have been formed that aren't boards, but they're not aliens. Right. Just something unknown going on that, and it's a shame if if research does get cut off because, again, granted that it's that's a two thousand five article, so you know it's you know going on twelve years, but that's the kind of comment that can just kill inquiry, it, and it's really unfortunate, you know, that that whole episode happened. And what about from a biblical standpoint? I mean, is there anything to think about from that angle? So I went through and I, uh, I, de- I decided to play the part of the person listening, and I, I watched probably too many videos on this <laughs> the last couple of days. <laughs> uh, and I, I was trying to, I was trying to weed out what I thought were some of the better ones um, that seemed sort of scientific, or had a, a guy who was a science guy who was he had a white coat about on. It. Yeah, I found this fella. I can't remember what the guy's name was, but he, he's he's published you know, textbooks that are used in universities on DNA and stuff like that. So I watched his whole show and it was pretty tough to get through. And, um, why was it tough to get through? It was tough to get through because it it was all just premised on the fact that this is supernatural or alien intelligence. There was no, no proof of it. I mean, he showed some pretty interesting things, but what what was concerning was how he just kept speculating and speculating, and I kind of I kind of wondered like like does he see these things as a Rosetta Stone that that aliens are trying to contact us with, or does he see them more like Oliver Stone, <laughs> like a conspiracy, <laughs> or is he using it like a seeing stone to tell the future? And I kind of came away with he, he's really using it almost like a Nostradamus or something like that, uh, you know predicting the future out of crop circles and coming to all sorts of just not good conclusions, very unreasonable conclusions based on, you know, something that happened a week later in Japan, this crop circle over in France has holds the key to tell us what the future was going to be, that there was a volcano going off. And, you know, that's the thing that concerns me is people take, you know, even if there is something that's, quote unquote real about the phenomena that's more than just guys laying down boards mm-hmm. to use it in that kind of a way. It's kind of reminiscent of what we talked about in the last show with, uh, with witchcraft. It's not witchcraft the same way, but you know, trying to discern these hidden secret messages about our future through a crop circle. is just not something that we should be engaging in. Well, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna argue with you there. <laughs> I mean, I know I, I kind of file it, you know, in the, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm just too simple minded when it comes to stuff like this, but I, I'm thinking, okay, alien communication, the alien cannot be very, very clever or bright. If the purpose of this is communication and we can't figure it out, why isn't the alien smart enough to do something simpler for us? Yeah. You know, this I mean, was on, honestly, he was spending months on some of these crop circles trying to decode. Them. Right. Right. So, so you would think that the alien who, who did this would be looking at us going, man, they are just dumb. We got to come up with something else. Let's try something simpler, but no, no, no. Let, let's build a more complex crop circle. Cause again, we want to communicate with them and 
And we're not bright enough to adjust our communication to their level of intelligence. The whole premise just doesn't make much sense. And the same thing if it's, you know, angels or God or something, you know, and, and I put this in with the Bible codes, you know, that, that, that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. It's like, look, you know, if the purpose of this is, is clear communication, and you'd think that if you, if you wanted to communicate, you'd like it to be clear, you'd like it to be understood by the person who's the target of the communication. So why would you, by definition, encrypt things <laughs> if you wanted it to be known? If you want the information known, why do you make it so hard and hide it? That's assuming that it's for human. Yeah, that it is. And, I, and I, am, I am making that assumption, which is why I actually think it's more interesting to think about messaging, you know, between, you know, one spiritual entity and another spiritual entity, you know, that kind of thing. Like, like 9-11 being a shot across the bow by the, the intelligent powers of darkness because they know – Again, that that God knows what what that date is about and his, you know, all that kind of stuff. You know, just there's there's this tit for tat that isn't meant for our consumption. I think it's I think it's more f- interesting and pr- maybe even more fruitful to at least entertain that idea rather than us sitting here trying to encrypt this. You know, I again those those things are related, and so if one is incoherent, the other one might be incoherent as well. But if the purpose is human communication, this is a huge failure. The whole crop circle thing is a is a colossal failure by this alleged intelligence that wants us to know something. It, it, it's such a, a an immense failure. I can't think of the person trying or the entity or the alien intelligence trying to do this. I can't think of them as very smart as being very smart. Well, the same mindset that says these are aliens trying to communicate something also supposes that people are being abducted so they could be experienced, you know, studied when, I mean, wouldn't the aliens just hack into the John Hopkins university, you know, computer. I mean, there's lots of data right. there. Can't they just read like Gray's anatomy? You know, it's like, it, it'd be so much simpler, <laughs> you know, but Few people even at, these are very obvious questions. I mean, we can sit here and laugh about them, but these are, understandable, comprehensible, direct, simple questions to ask. You know, because if you wanted to learn something, how would you do it? I want to learn what the human body does. So I'm going to go like kill somebody and take them apart. You know, no, you're going to go read a text. You know, mm-hmm. it, it just doesn't make any sense. And, and so much of this stuff really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You know, when you, when you probe it a little bit, but a lot of people don't don't probe it, but again, having said all of that, there are outliers. At least I, I think there may still be outliers with crop circles. Again, for me, the issue is the numbers, and again, again, the you know pilot testimony stuff like that. I, I don't want to just throw that out because we have a good explanation for lots of them. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I don't feel it's responsible to just throw out that piece of testimony. So I, there are still outliers in my mind when it comes to this, but for the most part, I, I don't find it that terribly interesting, but that, that's just me. And that's typically the way I look at paranormal stuff. I'm interested because of the outliers, the the things that don't fit what is otherwise a good explanation. Um, Those are the ones that get my attention. So one of the things that I found um, 
I've kind of kind of felt like a newbie going into this too. And when I was watching some of these videos, they came up with some questions in my mind that were not addressed in any of our peer reviewed papers that were they were interesting to me. So I think of this as a you know as a newbie. I'm I'm, I'm getting into crop circles and and I'm watching these videos and I see something like what they call ghost formations, which is where a ghost formation is where a crop circle appeared you know in the fall. But then the next summer, the same formation is still there. The, the new crop is not growing the way it was supposed to. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and you can still see it a year later. Or, or there's, there's this crop formation they were talking about where you could see a disturbance in the field from the air. But when you went down to the ground, the disturbance wasn't down at, the, at, at your feet where it would be if it was a, you know, a plank and a foot hitting mm-hmm. the ground. It was like... It was like two feet up the stalk in a perfect circle. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, it just raises the question of how in the world did that happen? You know, so I, yeah, I could name probably a dozen of those kinds of things that as I'm watching these programs and thinking about it going, wow, that's really interesting. And what I would like to see, and so I had two thoughts. First, first thought was I would like to see somebody do some peer-reviewed stuff on those aspects of the, of the crop circles. But then my mm-hmm. second thought was, how come there's how come there how come nobody is doing it? And you know, maybe I just don't have a clue how things work in the natural world and it's perfectly normal for somebody to step on a crop and the next year it wouldn't grow it wouldn't grow back on the same spot. You know, so just to not be not be completely taken away or blown away by what you see on these videos, I think that's important, even if even if they are interesting. And I I'll I'll admit there's some pretty strange things to these crop circles at least as far as what's not not what what wasn't discussed in the articles Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, i was was curious if if the plants were were they were they genetically altered were they you know what what was the seed variety again what kind of hybrids are they you know there's all sorts of reasons why plants grow differently Uh, and then you know was there fertilizer applied on the on the on the ground what kind of fertilizer was that you know if it was a plasma thing would that would that uh, activate the fertilizer in a way so that next year things Mm -hmm. wouldn't grow as well i mean there's all sorts of great stuff available and and to not again to not be conspiratorial but let's say that, that you were an ag specialist and you knew how that you know fertilizer biochemistry whatever worked and let, let's say you wanted to prank somebody by creating one of these circles. You could go out in a field that's been cut and and lay out your circle without there even being anything to stomp down, knowing that, oh, six months or whatever, you know, whatever time interval later, that what I'm doing now with something I'm sprinkling or spraying or whatever is going to create, you know, a pattern, you know, just, just for the heck of doing it, you know, or – you know, maybe maybe it is an, uh, an innocent experiment. Maybe it's a prank. I mean, who knows? But if you knew how to do that, and again, what would produce what effect, you could see how beforehand you could do that. You, you could pull that off because there's going to be nothing unusual about a guy walking around in a cut field, like he's maybe seeding something or spraying something. I mean, that, that that's not really unusual activity. You're not out there with you know, two by fours and PVC pipe and in the middle of a field, you know, you're not, that you don't expect, you know, you, you, the other one isn't going to draw anybody's eye. So if you had the know-how, 
I mean, I can think of ways to, to fake this kind of stuff, you know, and that again, like when I see, you know, bizarre stuff like on the, on the internet and, you know, without mentioning any specific examples in recent history, mm-hmm. you know, I, I look at that thing and go, okay, how would, how would I do that? How would you do that? And, and I'll actually go ask somebody that might have the technical know-how, you know, if, if you were going to create this thing over here, can you think of ways that you could do it? And then, you know, you, if, you, if, you, if you know a few of those people, you know, after a while, you, you know, they, they can come up with something that, yeah, you know, that really wouldn't be that hard to do. Now, that doesn't, doesn't mean you've come across the explanation for it. All it means is that, yeah, that can be done. And so that, in my case, that makes me very cautious, very wary of some claim again, that, that's being out there because I already know, okay, because I've, I've checked into it, I already know how you could pull that off. So that's, I just sort of store that away in the back of my mind. And yeah, when we make and, claims, and something, yeah. especially, especially as Christians, when we make claims, I, you just, there's something about trying to be beyond reproof. And mm-hmm. you, know, you can't 100% be, but you can make an attempt just to be on reproof because you're representing the king, representing Jesus here. And and, you know, when we bring certain mindsets to anomalous, what we think of as anomalous uh, observations, that can, we just, you have to be cautious. I remember years ago, I was flying out to the north, uh, southwest, and I looked out the window and uh, the plane, and I saw these, I thought, really weird formations. You had perfectly square fields, and you had perfect circles inside the fields. And I thought, man, is this some occult stuff going on down there here in the desert? That's weird. I landed, I asked somebody about it who worked in a government lab. If anyone knew, he would know, right? And he said, oh, yeah, that's just irrigation. You know, they have a big pole in the middle of the field, and it goes mm-hmm. to circles, and it irrigates. I'm like, oh, well, then I feel like an idiot, you know? But it's like it's nothing occult, nothing conspiratorial. It's just irrigation. But mm-hmm. I was thinking about conspiracies at the time. You look out the window, you see something you haven't seen before. Well, it must be this. And and it, when it was just it's just irrigation. So I, so much of it is having a, a mindset that is maybe not gullible, you know, and, mm-hmm. and uh, these people who are, are looking at these circles and are just trying to use them as Nostradamus, as prophecies or whatever, it's like, man, they're looking for something. I got to tell you, what they're looking for is probably in the Bible. It's probably not <laughs> in their field. Well, you, you, at the very least, you could say if it was really that important, it probably would have made it in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I I think it is kind of symptomatic, you know, of that. But hey, you know, we we should wrap up here, and I, I do want to I do want to add one uh, one note here for for listeners. Uh, nothing that we've said here today is meant to in any way discourage people from watching the movie Signs. <laughs> I love that movie. I love that movie. <laughs> now, honestly, that that is one of the most theologically powerful movies that I have ever seen yeah. ever. And our Hollywood guy decided that he had to leave. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, see, now, now we can talk about this and make him, make him jealous. <laughs> Brian had to drop out here because we're going a little long, but yeah, that, that is a powerful movie. It, it really is. Um, so, Hey, by all means, you know, go watch, watch that movie. So next time we're going to do a Halloween episode. And we're going to focus on vampires and probably do some some stuff on ghosts too. But uh, we did a little bit of ghosts with EVP, so if we have to, if we have to, 
sort of tilt our time in one direction, it would be uh, vampire stuff. And the, the plan is to have Judd Burton on with us, who's done a lot of uh, research into um, not only the history of vampirism, but again, some some kind of ancient stuff that you know might may or may not relate to the whole subject. Um, we'll just you know we'll we'll see what what Judd asks us to read and and uh, go from there. But that that'll be a, a Halloween episode, vampires, and again probably ghosts uh, to some extent. Ghosts is one of those topics you could do ten times, you know, ten <laughs> different angles. So we'll just see what what we come up with there. So so for our listeners, thanks for listening again to Paranormal. And hope you will keep on listening to the podcast and tell somebody else about it. And by all means, feel free to suggest topics. You come across something, again, uh, in, in a peer-reviewed journal, something that points to a peer-reviewed study, please send it along and we'll consider that for a topic. So thanks for, thanks for spending your time with us. Thanks again, you guys, for uh, participating. It was a lot of fun, man. I enjoyed it. Yep, appreciate it. <laughs>